What's up, everybody, and welcome to the It's Gotta Be Real podcast. Thanks for joining me today. I'm excited to be here recording my very first podcast in this new podcasting journey. So I want to jump right into this. So today's episode is called, There Are a Lot of People Like You Out There. That's right. There are a lot of people like you out there. And what I wanted to do today is I wanted to tell two stories and just kind of like get into what I mean by this title. So if you be patient with me and listen to these two stories, I'm going to try to bring something to light. I graduated in 1992 from Sweetwater High School down here in National City. I lived in National City since about the sixth grade, Uh, went to Central Elementary School, then to National City Junior High School. Uh, and then to Sweetwater High School, graduated in 1992 with, uh, I want to say probably like eight, six or eight extra credits. Um, I don't even know why. Um, I remember the school was on a year round system. So we would go to school, then there'd be like a three week break and we go to school and there would be a three week break. And in those three week breaks, the school offered classes that you could take to kind of get ahead or for... Um, anybody that needed to make up classes. So I decided I wanted to get ahead because I wanted to have a really relaxing senior year. And I did my last semester of high school. I only had two classes that I really had to have. The other four classes were electives and I still ended up graduating with more credits than I needed, but I also graduated with a 3.52 GPA. Um, I remember in the ninth grade being uh, voted being voted most likely to succeed uh, by my classmates, which probably meant that they perceived that the way I carried myself and conducted myself and that I was one day going to be successful. I don't know if that's Bill Gates successful or if that is uh, what I am today. (laughs) So unfortunately, though, there were different plans other than the ones that I was hoping to make with my life. I had spent some time in the community. Um, I was part of a volunteer organization, couple of volunteer organizations, and I just wanted to uh, get as much experience as I could in the real world. But I got caught up after high school. And since my girlfriend at the time was still in high school, there was no need for me to kind of rush to college. I just kind of figured that when she graduated, we would go to college together, which we ended up doing in 95 when she graduated. But that's another story for another time. So I just got caught up in the wrong thing. I started doing the wrong things. And in 1994, on January 31st of 1994, um, I pled guilty to importation of marijuana and was sentenced to 15 months in jail. It was a federal felony. I came across the border with drugs in the car and, uh, you know, there's a, there's a big story there. There's a whole bunch of things that happened that particular night, but at the end of the day, I did something I wasn't supposed to do and I got caught and I went to court and they took into consideration all of my voted most likely to succeed, graduated with extra credits, graduated with 3.52 GPA, they still felt that I committed a crime that deserved time to be served. So instead of doing a 15 month sentence, they recommended the first time nonviolent offender rehabilitation boot camp in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. I know that's a mouthful, 
But what it meant was that instead of serving 15 months, I would only do the six months in this particular, in this facility. But paperwork is slow. So I spent a month and a half to two months waiting in the local federal jail here in downtown San Diego. Two months. And then was flown Con Air. And when I mean Con Air, I mean we were up at four or five in the morning, uh, shackled uh, wrists and arms to the waist, shackled down at the ankles, transported on a bus up to the Miramar Air Station. When the plane came and opened its back door, we filed in by our names. They locked our feet into the seat that we were at and we were off. And we stopped a couple places on the way to Pennsylvania. We stopped, I think, somewhere in Colorado and picked up some more inmates that were going wherever. And then went and flew into El Reno, Oklahoma at the time. And El Reno, Oklahoma was an FCI, Federal Correctional Institute. And it had one of the, it was a typical double barbed wire fence tower at every corner type of facility right out of the movies. I mean, right out of the movies, the mess hall, right out of the movies, 10 by 10 cells with the bunk beds made out of metal that were screwed into the concrete ground and screwed into the wall. So they didn't move no privacy in the bathroom, no privacy anywhere. I mean, when you go to jail, you just don't give up your freedom. You give up your privacy. You're not really entitled to that anymore. So The stop at El Reno, Oklahoma, though, was a quick, it was supposed to be a quick trip, but we got there on Friday, so we stayed through the weekend, so Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, Monday, we were off again, and the plane took off and ended up, when we landed in Pennsylvania, and I don't remember where we landed, um, I ended up getting off and onto, and into a, another bus, and it was a two-hour drive or so. And it was just beautiful landscaping. I remember the landscaping was just beautiful. And I was just thankful to like not be in the Correctional Institute at El Reno. But I had no idea where we were going. Now, I was considered super low flight risk. Like there was no way I was going to quote unquote escape. Super low security level. But when you travel and you're an inmate, you're everybody's high security. So everybody gets treated the same way. So I wasn't really sure where were we where we were going. I had heard about it. It was supposed to be a boot camp. That's all I knew. That's all I knew. I didn't I didn't know anything about the landscaping. Is it behind a wall? Is it behind a fence? What part of the town is it in? Is it in the country? Is it in the city? I, I knew nothing. So the bus, we're on the bus for two hours and the bus makes us turn. And we go down this long stretch of, of road. And in the very far distance, you see the most intimidating front entrance that must have been 30 feet high. And it was just, I mean, it looked right out of the thirties or forties. It was just, the architecture was just really old and it had big doors on it. And it just, it just looked intimidating. It looked big and scary. And that was the entrance to USP Lewisburg, United States penitentiary, Lewisburg. Lewisburg was not like El Reno. Lewisburg had 25 feet walls with a thin electrical wire across the top in case somehow you did happen to scale the wall. There was no way you were getting past the electrical wire on the top. And it instead of having a tower at each corner, it had 
a tower at each corner and then a tower in between the towers. So there was, I don't know, nine, eight, nine towers in this place. Thank God. As soon as we were pulling up, we turned right and the door opened and they called some names of some people and they got out. And they went to what was a camp, which was like a medium security, full sentence, medium security type place that was right next door. We drove another 50 feet down and they called my name and I got off and there were still people on the bus. And I'm thinking to myself, where are these people going? And as soon as we get off the bus and we start walking away, I look over my shoulder and I see these people in the bus go into the wall. So I was one exit away from going into the wall. Of course, I was more than just one exit away. I was a bigger crime away, et cetera, et cetera, because those those uh those places don't house people bringing uh, drugs across the border. Here I am. It is uh, a couple days after my birthday. I had just turned 21, and now I am in jail with a federal felony. In Lewisburg, Pennsylvania, I have no idea what's going on. One of the first things you do is you sit down in a chair right outside of the uh, guard's office and somebody comes out and just shaves your head right there in front of everybody. And everybody's walking by. All the inmates are there. They're walking by. And so everybody's just kind of watching. It's kind of like an initiation. Oh, here's another new guy type thing. And it was a boot camp. So I waited a month and a half in San Diego and then I flew Con Air and I got to Lewisburg And then I had to wait another month or so for the actual six-month program to start. So I ended up doing, I ended up serving nine months in jail. So I did almost three months of waiting time and then six months at the boot camp and then nine months total instead of my 15-month sentence. Now, back then, with good behavior, you were required to serve 85% of your time, so... 15 months, I think, ended up being 12 months or so, uh, 85% time, somewhere in that neighborhood. So a lot of people were asking me, hey, man, how, how come you were, how come you went through this boot camp? Like, you could have done 12 months real easy somewhere else. You didn't have to do none of this boot camp stuff. And when I say boot camp stuff, I'm talking marching. I'm talking running in formation. I'm talking about ironing clothes, having creases in your clothes shining shoes, uh, rotating on cleaning the cleaning the head, uh, cleaning the floors, cleaning the barracks. They had a farm out there. So some of the inmates got farm duty. Some of the inmates got landscaping duty. Some of the inmates got painting duty. And then they had classes too. So they had quote unquote rehabilitation classes and they had church and they had people come out for church and they had all different types of church services. And once a week, you were allowed to make a phone call back home. Mine was every Tuesday. It's 6.30 Pennsylvania time. No. Yeah, Pennsylvania time, I think it was. Or no, mine mine was 9 o'clock Pennsylvania time because it was 6 o'clock here back home. And I used to call my girlfriend. And she took every single call and was always there and always available. So that was probably the best part. But being away from home and knowing that you don't have freedom, that that freedom has been taken... The ability to just go outside or go to the 7-Eleven or go to the store doesn't exist anymore. Privacy, not having any privacy. Uh, When you went from one facility to another, there was always a a search going on. And you just, I mean, it's completely a violation of 
who you think you are or who you want to be. And it was just, it was really, it was really rough. I had a really, I had a really hard time, not so much in the boot camp, but probably in the waiting period because there was nothing to do but read. And there weren't a lot of books going around other than the Bible. So that was a little challenging, but being away from home was really tough. And being away from my girlfriend and being so young and being in that kind of a place. So needless to say, I finished the nine months on November 3rd of 1994 and they flew us home. And actually the way they flew us home is whatever clothes we checked into jail with, they followed us. Those clothes were available. So we put those clothes on when we were leaving a bus came, dropped us off at the airport. We had plane tickets. We weren't shackled or cuffed anymore. They actually gave us $100 in spending money to make sure that we had money to get, get home with, I guess, food or whatever. So I thought that was really interesting. It was, it was, it was challenging. And it, it, it's not even so much how challenging that was, that whole experience. But what was really challenging is the aftermath. I mean, it was great when I got off the plane and my mom was there and my brother was there and my girlfriend was there and the first thing we went to, the first thing we did was go to McDonald's. And when you don't eat any kind of food like that, and then you eat McDonald's, you realize how absolutely salty McDonald's is, but that's what I wanted to do. So that's what we did. And then after that, I think I was at a halfway house for two months and then on a probation for three years. And I got lucky because the employer that I knew before I went to jail held my job literally until I got out. So I, I had a job when I got out. But the federal felony, it made it challenging for me to do a lot of other things. I ended up staying with that company for as long as I could so that I wouldn't have to go find another job and then put on my application. Yes, I was convicted of a felony and say what it was for because I did have to do that a couple times. And it took a while to find a job. I did find one, but it wasn't it wasn't easy. And I had a lot of experience in the field that that I had been in and I'd been in the restaurant industry for many years now. But back then when I was applying for a job after I got out and after the time with my friend was up, I don't know, four years of restaurant experience, uh, three of them as a, as a, a restaurant general manager. So it should not have been hard for me to find a job, but it was because of that whole ordeal because of that felony. So the felony made it tough to do other things. Also, I couldn't join the military ever. I have recently found out that when you have a felony, if you, ha if it's a state felony, you could get like a moral waiver if enough time's gone by and depending on what the charge is, but a federal felony can't be waived for anything. So I couldn't join the military. So I've always, I've always respected the military and, and everybody who has served and is serving. My, my mom was in air force reserves. My uncle was in the air force. My grandfather was in the Navy um, I have other family that were that are in the military, some from my wife's side as well. And that was one of the things that I wanted to do before I got too old, but I wasn't able to do that because of the felony. So the next story that I want to bring up that I want to tell is a story of a little bit more of a personal nature. And this story kind of hits home a little bit more because it has to do with with me and my wife. It has to do with the love of my life. It has to do with our journey together. So I met my wife in 1991 at Sweetwater High School. We got together November 19th, 1991, and we've been together ever since. We've had a couple of uh, bumps in the road, of course. We had the time where, you know, 
we didn't talk to each other for a while and she was mad at me and I was mad at her and she went to go stay over here for a couple months and then came back and I went to go do this for a couple months and I came back and I mean just I mean 1991 I mean I was 17 and uh she was 15 I think don't even say what you're thinking when I gave you those ages <laughs> So we've been together ever since, though. So that goes to say something. But about 10 years ago or so, we just kind of ran into a tough time in our marriage and our relationship. Up until this point, um, we have been successful in in raising our children. I have a 21-year-old girl uh, who has a six-year-old son. So we're grandparents. And my wife is the ultimate nanny she is absolutely incredible with my grandson she like totally owns that whole role and and lives in that real well and um, we have an 18 year old daughter named elise who just graduated from high school uh is working good job she's really happy with that and then i have a son named robert who's 14 almost 15 years old big big boy six one almost as tall as his dad 195 pounds And he's, everybody's healthy. Everybody's great. Everybody's doing really good. And especially during this, this COVID time, we're all hanging in there, distance learning, going to work. They're going to work when they have to and and things of that nature. And up until about 10 years ago, everything was just fine with our relationship. We were waking up every day. We had a plan. We knew what we were doing. We knew how we were raising the family and distractions came into the relationship. She spent a lot of time at work. I spent a lot of time at work. I wasn't around a lot she wasn't around a lot and one thing led to another and we found ourselves in therapy trying to save our relationship because of decisions that we both had made and one of the things that i had learned in in therapy from the therapist was about gary chapman's five love languages book and some of you might be shaking your head as i say that right now but let me tell you this love languages book was probably the best thing that i think our relationship could have had happened to it as far as bringing us to a point where we really needed to read the book, understand what the love languages are and how do we use them. And I found out that my wife's love language was me spending time with her, but spending time with her to a point where I needed to be actively engaged in the things that she was saying. So for example, just an example, if uh, she came home from work and she said, And these are just made up names. And she said, hey, John is over here talking all this stuff about Julie because Julie said something to Marina about it. And Marina didn't like what George said. So she's telling me the story and I can't sit there and do the typical nod your head. Yeah, yeah, yeah thing. This is one of those things where I had to be fully engaged. Oh, really? Why do you think George did that? What happened with Marina? I can't believe this. You know, you know what I mean? Like, like not like I was faking it, but I mean, just to the point where it was important to be engaged because she felt like, because those things were important to her. So because her day was important to her and she wanted to share her day with me, I had to make that important for me as well. And it is, but it's just something that I had to learn is I had to learn that like, You can't just listen and hear somebody. You have to be actively engaged in a conversation when someone's trying to to, to talk with you, not to the point of responding to what they're saying, but listening to everything that they're saying. And then when they're done, then you think about what you're going to say and say it back instead of thinking about what your response is going to be the whole time they're talking because then you end up missing a big piece. Anyways, 
So I was guilty of that for a really long time. And so one of the things therapy helped us understand was what our love languages were. So we went through that piece, but we were close. We were real close to, and don't worry, everybody who's listening. I have had this conversation with my wife and she has heard this podcast and said that it was okay to to talk about this to the extent that I did. But in all honesty, our relationship was probably almost was just about over. I went, I drove, I drove into work a couple times, just in pain and agony and crying. And she was too. And we were just at wit's end. And we had both made decisions that we weren't happy about that affected the other person. And we just didn't feel at the time. We didn't feel like the relationship was going to continue, but being together with somebody for so long, it wasn't that I felt like, oh, well, we've been together for a long time and we have kids. We need to work this out. That wasn't it. For me, it was more like, this is my wife and I love this woman and I've got to do something. So I went up to her and I said, what do you think about therapy? What what about that as an option for us? I mean, I've never done anything like that before, but like, what do you think? And she said, yeah, I'm open to that. So we went and we did it. Quite honestly, we didn't pay money. We called the employee assistance program with her work and gives you five free counseling sessions. So we called and said, hey, we need marriage help. And they're like, okay, here's a list of therapists you could pick from. And we picked one and we got lucky with one because she was really great with us. And we did five sessions and then we moved into doing other things after that, like going to like conferences or focusing on date nights and things of that nature where we could use those love languages and practice those love languages. I mean, it was, it was actively practicing what we were learning from the therapist. It wasn't, Oh, we went, we talked about our feelings. Everything's okay. Let's go back to life. No, it was literally actively engaging in what we were learning and applying those and talking about those. We'd go on dates and say, Hey, so how do you think I'm doing with your love language? Like, do you feel like I'm doing what I need to do so that you can feel loved in that language? Oh yes, I do. No, I don't. This is why. Here's what I think is good. Here's what I think we need to work on. We did that for a while. Um, And it was tough. It was real tough. It was hard. It was gut punching, heart squeezing, tear jerking. It was a really, really tough time. It was a really, really tough time. But you know what? We made it through it. And here we are today. We're in 2020. So this year is 29 years together. I am so happy about where we're at in our relationship and how we how we just know kind of what the other person is thinking and we know how to work through and maneuver through challenges and problems. We know when the other person is feeling kind of down and we know how to bring them up without setting them off. We can tell when the other person is is upset or irritated and we know how to comfort that person or give that the other person space. I mean, we know all these things about each other because we've been together for so long. It's not, it's not a marriage is not built in a microwave. It's, it's, it's built over time. It's built in a, uh, for analogy purposes, I guess it's built in a smoker. It takes a long time. And when you smoke meat for eight, 10 hours a day at the very end, it is absolutely wonderful melts in your mouth. So tasty, so good. That's how a marriage is. It, it takes some time now. I know there's going to be people listening to this too says, well, my marriage didn't work out. Forget you. You don't know what you're talking about. My marriage is different. And you know what? You're right. I am in no way, shape or form trying to say 
anything about you or your marriage. I'm just trying to tell you my story and the outlook and the perspectives of what we learned and what I've learned. So here we are. I've told you two stories. I told you the story about me going to jail and have a federal felony. And I've told you about a time in my life where my marriage was just about over. And I told you also before that, that the title of this message, there is somebody just like you out there. There's somebody just like you out there. So the, the reason why I told you these stories today is because I want you to know if you don't already, I want you to consciously know that there are people like you going through some of the things that you go through out there. It's the person next to you. It's the person standing in front of you in the, in the checker line. It's the person in the drive through in front of you or behind you. It's the person running across the street when you don't think they should have ran in front of your car like that. It's the person that flipped you off on the freeway. It's the nice lady who said hello to you on your, on your way into the grocery store. But there are people like you and me out there. And the reason why I shared these stories with you today is because I want you to know that we all got something going on. All of us got something going on. But it's what we do with those things that we had going on in our lives. So I, had a, I have a federal felony today. I'm 46 years old with a fel- federal felony. I, there are certain things that I can't do, but what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to be depressed and be sad and say, oh, worries me. Nothing's going to ever happen because I made a mistake. Or am I supposed to like brush off my knees and get up again and move on? In 2012, I graduated with my bachelor's degree in business management. In 2016, I got my master's degree. I wasn't going to let a quote unquote mistake like that hold me back to who I'm supposed to be or who I'm called to be or who got or who God made me to be or who I was born to be. However you want to put it, you can't let a mistake that you made hold you down from the purpose or destiny or plan or greatness that is out there written for you already. You just can't. It's, it's, you're cheating, not just yourself, but somebody else who needs to see you go through something and then say, Hey, if that dude can do it, I can do it. And if that's me about my federal felony for you or for somebody else or somebody else who's going to end up listening to this podcast, which is the whole reason why I wanted to start the podcast in the first place, then good. Know that you can get through it because I did. The second story I told you was about marriage. And I told you about how my marriage almost ended. But you know what? It didn't. And in my opinion, marriage is the best union on the planet. There's nothing better than it. There's there's nothing better than having somebody by your side who knows what you need, what you want, and what you like. But you know what? It takes time, and it takes energy, and it takes commitment, and it takes dedication, and all of those things take energy. And you have to be intentional about what you're doing in a marriage if you want it to succeed. And we could have not. We could have been in a place where we didn't care about it. We could have been in a place where we said, you know what, you're right. This happened. I don't feel the same way about you anymore. So we're going to go ahead and we're not going to have a relationship anymore. In my marriage, I'm talking about my marriage, not yours. Okay. So, but that didn't happen. And that didn't happen because we wanted to work through things. 
We wanted to put our head together and we wanted to fix what was wrong. We wanted to find out what was wrong. In both of these scenarios, it's about the way we respond to things and the way that we respond to others. I can't let my kids think that just because I got a federal felony, I am a failure and I'm going to let that hold over my life and attack my life and keep me from opportunities and advancements in career or advancements otherwise. I can't let them see that when I make a mistake, it's okay to fall on the ground and not get up. What kind of parent would I be? What kind of role model would I be? Or what about when we had a problem in our marriage? I'm sure the kids know some of that to a certain extent. Yeah, it was 10 years ago and my kids were a lot lot younger then. Uh, they would have been 11, 8, and 5. But you mean to tell me that kids don't sense when there's stuff going on in the house? Kids know. Kids are smart. Kids are too smart sometimes. You know what I mean? We didn't save our marriage for the kids. We saved our marriage for each other. We worked on it. We ch- We decided that just because something went wrong, we weren't going to let it take control of who we were and who we are. I'm telling you today, you don't have to let those things that you did or the mistakes that you made pave a way for you that is not successful. You determine what direction you want to go. You get to determine the strength and power and energy that you want to run forward in. Don't let something like this hold you back. Don't let the mistake that you made last week or last night or yesterday or or the failed relationship or the argument that you're in with your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend, don't let that stuff consume you. That's not what it's about. It's always about the way we respond to things, not the way we react, but the way we respond because the way we react is different and generally the way we react is about emotions. A response is something that is intentional It's deliberate. It's something that we think about and it's something that's ordered. Know that there are people out there like you, like me going through things. And the only way we're going to make it is if we're there to help everybody else. There's so much talk right now about unity in the world and how we all need to come together, but there's no unification taking place. It's this side and that side. There's no middle ground. There's no top ground. There's no bottom ground. There's no common ground. There's this or there's this. And I'm trying to tell you today that we are all in this together. And I'm not talking about a pandemic. I'm not talking about a presidential race and politics. I'm saying that we are all on this planet together and we can help one another. So I'm encouraging you that when you see somebody else, know that they could be going through something and you could be an answer for them. For your friends, you could be an answer for what they're going through. There is always somebody watching. And I don't mean like with a camera and YouTube and we see all that stuff going on. That's not what I mean. I mean, there are people watching your lifestyle because they want to know if they can make it too. They want to know if they can make it too. And the way that you respond to your mistakes or your setbacks or your falls or your failures, the only way they're going to know is by how you respond to those things. So it's up to us. It's up to you. It's up to me to respond in such a way that people are encouraged in life and they know that they can do it and they're going to go out and be successful somebody for somebody else and they're going to start changing lives because changing lives starts with you and it starts with your inner circle and then it goes somewhere else and then it's a person at work and then it's a person somewhere else and then it's a person somewhere else. But we can make a difference in people's lives by the way we respond to things and the way and by the way that we treat them there is somebody else out there that is just like you with feelings thoughts and emotions and if we were to come together i think we could accomplish a lot more 
well, what does that mean come together? I don't know what that means come together. Maybe what it means is that you and I both know when we're walking around that we recognize that people might be going through things. So instead of getting upset about how somebody rang us up the wrong way or overcharged us or why can't we just be nice first? Like, why do we got to be all upset first? Like, why do we got to get mad first? Why can't we be nice first? Because we don't know what that person at work is going through. We don't know what that person in front of us is going through, but everybody's going through something. If we could all just be conscious of that and know that our mistakes don't define us and know that if we fall down, we can get back up, then we can help that person who's right next to us doing the same thing. So today I want to tell you that no matter what mistake you've made, no matter what you think you've done wrong, you have the power to not let that define you. You have the power to move forward and not worry about that in your life. You have the power to go back and correct what you need to correct so that you could continue to move forward in success and power. But it's up to you. Get up, brush off your knee, take off running forward. There's a lot of people out there like us. Hurt, happy, cry, angry, experience the same emotions that we do. I just feel like right now, today, where everything is, if we were just to exercise this, this, this one word called compassion and maybe add a little bit of empathy with it as well, we can slowly make a difference. We can slowly make a difference. Thank you, everybody, for taking the time to listen to my very first podcast ever. That's got to be real. I appreciate you being here. And I got a lot more stuff to talk about. This is my first one. So hang with me a little bit as I start working through kinks and editing and all that cool, fun stuff. But I want to have a good time with you. I want to be able to share things with you. Uh, I will end up having some guests on the show later down the road as we get into other topics and things of that nature to make it a little bit more interactive. But I want to hear from you. So let me know. What are your thoughts? Am I crazy? Am I losing it? Did you like the show? Did you not like the show? Email me at it's gotta be real at gmail.com. It's gotta be real at gmail.com. Let me know what some of your thoughts are. I'm going to post an episode every week. I look forward to talking to you next week. Thank you for everything. And just remember at the end of the day, it's gotta be real.